It's a very fearful thing to preach the word, but I had the most encouraging possible of conversations with uh, Gemma this morning. Gemma's a little girl in the life of our church. I said, hi, Gemma. And she looked at me and said, hi, God. (laughs) So I'm going to try that and not let that go to my head at all actually a terrible sinner who's about to preach to you, but by God's grace, that's who he uses to do this. Um, But I thought that was just cute. We are preaching the gospel to you this morning. We're preaching through a series of sermons that we're calling Seven Mile Road, A Field Guide. Uh, Basically, each of these sermons that I'm preaching to you are chapters in a, in a, a field guide that we're writing for ourselves and for the other six churches that we have planted to say, what does it mean to be Seven Mile Road? What does it look like to live in the field together? Uh, Every one of those chapters is anchored to a big idea that is found in the, the book of Acts, specifically the 20th chapter, where Paul is recounting what it looked like for him to plant a healthy and a holy church. These sermons are a little more self-referential than normal, a little more anecdotal than normal, um, but we're just going to do that for a little while because that's the way the writing is being done. Today we're doing the chapter called X Factors. It's called X Factors because I thought this was going to be an A to Z fuel guide, and I was like, oh no, what do I do for X? And X Factors actually worked for the theme of this verse, so that's what we're calling this. Really, we're just dealing with this truth. We are going to trust God and take risks, gospel-centered risks together. All right, Joey Thompson, he's like a brother of mine and a best friend in ministry. I would trust him with my life. I would take a bullet for him in a second, in a second. He is planting and pastoring Restoration Road just a couple of miles up the street now on Main Street in Wakefield. I cannot think of a better story to tell you to get your heart wrapped around this big idea than our story with Joey. Tell you about the five big risks that we took to see that church come into existence. So Joey had been leading worship at an earnest but not so healthy, a little bit shady church that's no longer there uh, up in Saugus. And at one point he grew so troubled and so frustrated that he resigned on a Monday and went and started his own church the next Sunday. He would happily tell you today that was probably not the wisest of timetables to, to employ, but he started this church with no funding, no training, no team, no strategic plan, no worship leader, no website, nada. Just boom, we're having services. Who wants to come? A few years into this work, which he was giving himself to with all of his heart, they got stuck. The church got stuck missionally, and Joey got stuck personally. We knew each other just a tiny little bit from overly competitive church softball. You know about that? 
So basically, we had had some near fistfights together. That was like the extent of our relationship. But he knew that I was planning a church in Malden, and so he called me just to walk in the light with me about where they were at. I need you to feel the risk just in him making that phone call. Huge X factors involved right here. No guarantees of how he would be received. No definites about how that conversation was going to go. I don't know how this is going to go, but I trust God, so I'll risk it. 781-420-9291. We talked two hours. I love the conversation. I can still tell you today where I was standing when I was on the phone with him because I was so excited. I immediately went and I talked with our team and with you, with our church, about, hey, what do you think about inviting an outsider into our ox track, our training track for pastors? I know that would be a risk. Normally, before we do that, we have known a man for years In this case, all I knew was he's a really good center fielder. He loves his wife and his kids, and he's got guts. That's it. That's all I knew. Whole bunch of X factors in there. But we said, we don't know how this is going to go, but we trust God. Let's risk it. We run the year together, and it goes great. But it is apparent to Kevin and I, who were leading the track that year, that the best case for the good of the gospel in Joey's life and among the people that we want to see discipled north of Boston would be for Joey to shut his church plant down and come live with us and pastor with us and get deeply healthy and deeply equipped and deeply prepared to run it back. In other words, reset button. I remember looking at Kevin being like, so are you going to tell him or am I going to tell him? (laughs) You know those conversations where you're like, you start with the weather, then you move on to how your kids are doing, then maybe you talk about the Celtics versus the Cavs last week, and then eventually you get down to what you were going to talk about? That was this. Somehow we got to me saying, so what do you think about shutting your life's work down? Huge risk. But Kevin and I had looked at each other and said, we don't know how this is going to go, but we trust God. Let's risk it. All right, then came the biggest risk of all, which was Joey saying, yes. Everything that I've worked on, everything that I've given myself to for three years of my life, all the relationships that we've built, all that capital, all my hopes for what I thought this was going to become, I am willing to pull the plug and trust that somehow long run going in with you guys is going to bring a good end. You talk about X factors. So much potential for so much good, but a lot of potential for what? Loss, hurt, disappointment, I don't know how this is going to go exactly, but I trust God. So let's risk it. We actually did that. We closed down the father's house. Joey crashed emotionally, physically, 
Have you ever seen someone at the end of a marathon when they get to the end and they just crumple down to the ground and someone just needs to run and embrace them? That was literally Joey's first 30 days as a pastor at Seven Mile Road. But then the Lord graced us with three deeply beautiful, strong, fruitful years together, which brought us to the point of a fifth risk, which was, so are we going to run this back? Four years ago, we replanted with Joey. We risked our financial support and 25 great people and their kids and all of their giving and a great pastor of ours. But what we said was, okay, we don't know how this is going to go, but we trust God. And so let's risk it. There is a thriving missional church a mile half up the road because a gospel family, a gospel formed family like this, driven by love for Jesus, love for the gospel, love for the church, love for the mission of God. We're willing to take one, two, three, four, five risks, and those are only the ones I'm telling you about. A healthy church, a healthy Christian, in lots of little ways, and then sometimes in some big ways, is willing to risk. All right, let's talk about gospel-centered risk-taking. I'm going to set up a continuum for you up on this screen. These analogies are always not perfect, but they're helpful to just kind of set the conversation. So let's do this before we get to the words of Scripture. All right, number one, over here, we have this kind of person that we call a control freak. Anybody who would say, that's probably me. I'm probably on the screen right now. You lying. Raise your hands. I know where we are right now. All right. The good words for this is cautious, judicious, prudent. I do not like taking risks. That's this person. I do not wade swiftly into the unknown. That's not me. I like certainty. I really love guarantees. A sure thing makes my day. Here's this person's basic thought process I got a plan going to work the plan. And success is everything goes according to plan. If there's a box, where do they live? Right in the center of that thing, equal radius or whatever to the edges. Have you ever vacationed with these people? How do they do it? Color-coded calendar for every day, every restaurant by the 15-minute increment. What happens if you say to them, hey, why don't we just get up tomorrow morning and see how things play out? Do you know what hives are? Because they just race up and down their body right there. I don't know about that. Have you ever skied with these people? What does a day skiing with them look like? Half your time is on the bunny hill, and the other half of your time is in the cabin. That's it. Have you ever gone to Vegas with these people? They will sit at the same roulette table for two hours, waiting to see if their favorite number comes up or not. And then maybe if it hasn't come up, 
they will risk a $2 chip on their number, maybe. Now, I'm making fun, but this temperament is not a bad thing. Every family, every marriage, every church needs people who excel at control, like a CFO. It's a blessing. But taken to its extreme, control can devolve into a refusal to ever take any risks, to be good if there's never an X factor involved, ever. All right, opposite pole, we have thrill seekers or daredevils. These are our friends who prefer chaos to control. Do we have any daredevils in the house? Come on, Katie, you can raise your hand. Any thrill seekers? See, this is Melrose. A lot of control, not a whole lot of thrill. (laughs) Have you ever stumbled into that awful vortex on YouTube called fail videos? Do you know about these? They just like run them back. Oh, man, that's what you do with your spare time. Okay. If it wasn't for these people, those videos would not exist, right? Let's see what happens if I jump off the roof of my house onto a slip and slide. This is going to go great. Have you seen that? Why don't I tie this shopping cart to my friend's pickup truck and we'll do 60 in a cul-de-sac? Brilliant. What happens if 11 of us all stand on the same folding table? That's these people. What's their basic thought process in life? What plan? Let's just see how things play out. If there's a box, where do they live? miles outside of that box. Have you ever vacationed with these people? You just say the name of a destination. Costa Rica. Oh, that sounds awesome. Let's go. You don't even know what continent Costa Rica is on. But four hours later, where are you? You're in line at Logan Airport, right? No underwear, no toothbrushes, no sunscreen, but you're going to Costa Rica. That's this person. Have you ever skied with this person? Never been skiing before. They bunny hill one time. What's next? What do they call that? The black devil, the black diamond crazy person trail. Let's do it. Have you ever gone to Vegas with someone like this? How does that work? They're either rich or poor in 15 minutes. You're either going down the strip in the jacuzzi at the back of the limo, or you are literally thumbing it trying to get back to Massachusetts in 15 minutes. They love chaos. I'm making fun, but this is not a bad thing. Every marriage, every family, every church needs people who are willing to live in the chaos. But taken to its extreme, this spins us into recklessness, which is not biblical. Recklessness is where People get hurt, time gets wasted, resources get wasted. So thrill-seeking for the sake of the thrill is not where we want to live. Where we want to live is this holy tension between these two poles. Here's what we call it, risk-taking. Being a risk-taker. All right, let's define the word risk. A risk is any action that exposes you You take it and you know this is going to expose me to the potential of loss or injury or failure or harm, loss of money. Who in this room bet on the Falcons in Super Bowl 51? 
don't you dare raise your hand. Because you were pumped at halftime, right? I got this thing. And then you watched in terror as your money sprouted wings and flew away from you. Loss of money is a big risk. How about a loss of reputation? This is like when Roy asked me to play one-on-one in my backyard. I was like, Roy, you don't want to do that. Huge risk, brother. I'm just messing with him. Loss of privilege. I'm going to break curfew, and I am just hoping that dad's not sitting in the mudroom when I open that door. Loss of relationship. I had a good friend whose friend asked him to come to his third wedding, and the previous divorce was completely unlawful. And my friend had to take the risk and say to his friend, listen, I love you, but I cannot come to this wedding and sing and dance and celebrate when you are stepping into a public sexual relationship that God cannot bless. That is a huge relational risk to take. Loss of health. Like when you ate that Chinese food that was at the back of the fridge since New Year's Eve. That was a risk. Loss of life even, like when a firefighter rushes into a building to rescue someone. That is risk. Making a decision to act without the guarantee of success. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going for it. Or even better, sharper. I'm going to do this even though things could go bad. Now, other than the Trinity... Every one of us takes risks every single minute, day of our lives, right? Risk exists because omniscience does not, because nobody knows the future. Risk is a part of being a human being. I played Babe Ruth in Everett. My coach was Bob Prestera. He had a little gambling problem. And um, he would talk with the kids uh, before the game, after the game. I forget. We were talking, not about gambling, but whatever we were talking about, just life. You know, baseball goes slow. There's a lot of chit-chat in baseball. So we are chit-chatting on, uh, uh, right off of Ferry Street at the field. And he was like, what would be like the biggest dream in your life to the kids? So whatever our answers were. And then Bob's was, I wish just once, just once, that I had tomorrow's newspaper today. That was Bob's big dream. Why? Because that would eliminate all risk. And he would go find his bookie, and he would retire. Here's the problem. Nobody ever has tomorrow's newspaper today, which means risk is going to be a reality in your life. But what we can do is work to minimize, 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 minimize risk. Avoid any situation where we are walking into the unknown and say, here's the ethos of my life, and here's the ethos of Seven Mile Road. Let's just play it safe. Always safe. Here's the problem with that. You cannot live there and follow Jesus. You can't do it. You cannot play it safe and inherit the kingdom of God. You can't do it. The gospel life is a life where you will often be required to take risks. Now, if you opened your Bible and started reading, you wouldn't get 10 pages at a time without seeing a holy person taking a risk. 
Abraham, Abigail, Nehemiah, Esther, Caleb, Lydia, John the Baptist, Ruth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could stay here till Tuesday telling stories about risks. The great New Testament risk taker was Jesus' apostle Paul, and that's the text that we get to look at together today. Here's our context. Paul is speaking to a church from the city of Ephesus, but they are standing in the city of Miletus. Miletus is a port city. Why would you be hanging out with people, having a conversation in a port city? What are you about to do? You are about to go somewhere. This would be like getting lunch with someone at South Station and saying, hey, you want to grab some Chipotle? There's a place by the trains we can talk before I leave. Or do you want to meet up with me at Santarpio's Pizza? Then I can jump right on the blue line. Logan is one stop away. That's our setting. Where is Paul headed to? Here's what he says. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. In other words, this trip is something that I really feel compelled, bound, constrained. I got to do this. This has to happen. Why was this trip to Jerusalem such a big deal? Well, Paul and the churches he had been visiting had been collecting money, collecting money, collecting money that they might give to the poor Jews in Jerusalem who had believed Jesus. In other words, the Gentile segment of the church was moving toward the Jewish segment of the church in love with generosity. They were displaying in this act of benevolence the truth that the gospel brings us all together regardless of our backgrounds. Saying, because of Jesus' grace, even though Gentiles and Jews used to hate each other, avoid each other, everything has changed now because of Jesus. You have a need. We have an ability to meet that need. We want you to thrive because Jesus loves you, so we love you. We're going to bring our money and your need together. you got to feel why this was so dear to Paul's heart because that was his entire calling. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, and them getting grafted into the covenant people of God was what he had been called to. And he knew that this beautiful act of gospel-centered mercy, of generosity, of diaconal ministry was going to be this sign that his mission was taking deep root. In other words, if this gift gets delivered to these people, the church is going to get strong. The gospel is going to look good and beautiful and true. And so Paul said, I'm going. I have to do this. This has to happen. We would use the language of he was called to make this trip. But then he says something totally fascinating. He says, not knowing what will happen to me there. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. What's that first part of this verse? That is risk. Paul did not know the details of what was going to happen, but he knew 
He knew arrest and affliction. I'd get arrested. I'm going to get beat up a little bit. But he didn't know what else. Would that lead to his death? Would that lead to a long stint in prison? Would it lead to some banishment where he gets exiled somewhere far away from the Roman Empire? A lot of X factors. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going. And then he gives us the ground of his going and he says it like this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, what's most important is not that I don't fail, is not that all my relationships are maintained. He knew that he would never see these brothers and sisters ever again after this conversation. Is not that my nest egg remains solvent. Is not that my reputation stays pristine. Is not even that I remain free or even that I remain alive. That's not what's most important here. But that the gospel of the grace of God moves, advances, is shown off. If taking this risk is going to end maybe in the advance of the gospel, I'm in because I trust God. Very funny, very helpful. A few cities later, this same conversation happens again. Paul's sitting with another church, and he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And a prophet named Agabus stood up, and he tied a bounds around his hands and his feet, and he said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, This is what's going to happen to you. You are going to be bound. Now, when the believers heard Agabus say this, what did all the control freaks in the church do immediately? What did they do? They said, you can't take that risk. There's way too many X factors involved in this. Didn't you hear what the man just said? At the very least, you're going to get arrested. If they get their hands on you, we don't know what they're going to do to you next. Acts 21 says they begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And how did he respond? Here's what he said. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the ground of all gospel-centered risk-taking. I love the name of Jesus. I love the fame of Jesus. And I trust God. Even with my life, I trust Him. Here's how we say it. We are going to trust God. And we're going to take gospel-centered risks together. And not because things always work out smoothly or go according to plan. I know that you want me to end with that promise. Take risks for God and it's a guarantee. Nope. Sometimes taking risks leads to big wins for the gospel. 
we open with our Joey story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was pretty good. Esther was amazing. John the Baptist got his head cut off because he took a risk. Sometimes taking risks leads to loss, injury, failure. That doesn't make it wrong or foolish. In fact, ultimately, in Christ and with a gospel timeline in view, there are no failures from the risks that we take. I don't mean that in an Under Armour commercial kind of way, you know? Every failure makes me stronger and then we're champions. Right? Then they somehow get those biceps paintbrushed even bigger. I don't mean it in a silly, secular way. Here's what I mean. No risk of yours that is ever taken in love for God, in love for his church, in love for his mission, ever, ultimately, is a fail. Ever. For one thing, God is working all things out in real time for his glory, for our good, and that includes our failures. I've always felt that failing is totally, totally underrated. You may start a church and have it fail only to realize that that failure was the greatest gift of God to your soul, to your marriage, to your family. You may lose a bunch of money on a very risky move for the sake of the gospel. You might do that only to find out that that financial fail was the biggest grace of God to you to just knock over the idol of money in your life. You may lose a relationship, and that is vicious, so hard, only to find out that God gives you hundreds of others, and then down the road even often restores that one because of your courage. Jesus works redemptively in everything in our lives, including our failures. And for another thing, always remember, the day of Jesus is coming. It's coming. It will be a day where every word that you have said and every deed that you have done and every risk that you have taken and every risk that you have refused to take will be exposed for what it was in the light of divine justice. I'm telling you that on that day, Jesus will not look at you and say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? You shouldn't have taken that risk for my glory. You shouldn't have taken that risk because you loved the people of the church. You shouldn't have taken that risk because you loved the advance of my mission. No way. Jesus loves when we trust the Father. One measure of that trust is our willingness to risk. So this week, keep these words in your mind. Paul was going to Jerusalem. It was good for him to go risk. But he knew, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me there. And commit your heart to live that way with us. Live that way among those that Jesus has sent us to. So that in the light of Jesus' day, we can say, 
We took some big risks because we trusted God together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you drive this truth deep in our hearts. We can trust you. We can trust you. Hurt and loss and failure and even death is okay. If we were believing the gospel, if we were moving forward with courage and boldness because we wanted the name of Jesus to be shown off and because we loved your church and loved your mission. I pray that you would help us live well in this tension, in this season in the life of our church. But I also pray for every single one of us in here that from here out we would have some steel in our backs and that we would trust God and that we would take some risks and that you would show up for your glory and for our joy. Hear our prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen.